Hi, host Alex Kuro here. So today's episode contains sensitive subject matter, including suicide. If this is at all triggering for you, please listen with care. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, you can reach out to the 24-7 suicide hotline at 988. I recently lost an extended family member. And the last year or so, they were in and out of intensive care. And finally, a few months ago, they said, we're done. I'd like to discontinue my care and go on hospice. And this person passed away, from what I understand, within hours of going on hospice care. I can't bring myself to blame them for that. They've been in pain for so long. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. It's okay. Because I, last week, my friend, like, actually committed suicide. suicide. And it's just, it's such a complicated oh, thing to like wrap your head around. Cause in none of these conversations it got, oh God, it got like so close to home. Whew. Welcome to Indie Matters. I'm your host this week, Alex Kuro, and today I'm reporting on physician-assisted death. This is something that is a bit personal for me as it revolves around death, which is a sensitive and difficult topic to talk about. You just heard me talking with Valerie Haskin, who is on the Nevada Rural Board for Behavioral Health, and we were talking about our experiences with losing people close to us. Valerie lost a family member, and I lost a friend. My friend's suicide happened in the midst of my reporting, making this process both cathartic but honestly painful at times. I think overall, talking about and processing the complicated issue of death with people like Valerie, it helped me. Today, we're going to be talking about people with terminal illnesses taking life-ending medication. We'll mostly be using the term physician-assisted death because the Associated Press Stylebook, which guides word choice here at the Indy and at many other publications, recommends that phrase as one of the neutral ways of referring to the practice. But you might know it by another name, which in medical literature and some other indie stories, it is referred to as medical aid in dying. But the AP Stylebook, as well as some opponents of the practice, may use the term physician-assisted suicide. But this can be controversial because, as you'll hear, a lot of people don't want to confuse this practice with suicides. And we won't be using the term euthanasia because that refers to a doctor directly administering the life-ending drug to a patient. The practices we'll be discussing in this episode involve a doctor prescribing the drug if patients meet certain criteria. I had a very long hospice with my mother who died on March 19th and she had a three-year cancer battle and I would have supported her if she wanted to do medical aid and dying. And then literally we also just put my beloved dog down two days ago and that was definitely medical aid and dying. We had someone come to our house and put her down and it was so sad, but it was very merciful. I have a lot of thinking about death and how people go. That's Lori Friedman, 
a sociologist at the University of California, San Francisco, and author of the book Bishops and Bodies, which focuses on practices within the Catholic healthcare system. Like everyone I talked with, Lori had her own experiences with death, and they were really complex and emotional. It is complicated. There's reasons to not like medically assisted dying. You know, there's reasons where it's more morally and emotionally complicated than it sounds in political debates. Over the last several months, I've been uncovering what factors led to Governor Joe Lombardo's veto of the Senate Bill 239. The bill passed out of both Senate and the Assembly and would have allowed patients with a terminal diagnosis or six months or less to live to request medication that would end their life. They would have had to be mentally competent and ask for the medication both in written form and verbally after talking with two different physicians. And there was no requirement to take the medication once it had been prescribed. A 2016 poll commissioned by a group that was supporting the right for terminally ill patients to take life-ending medication showed that around 70% of Nevadans support physician-assisted death. And there is bipartisan support for the effort. Why, then, was the bill not signed into law? There is no definitive answer for this, but one constant kept popping up in all of my interviews, and that was religion. Beyond understanding the bill and its history, I wanted to know how religious ideas, as well as religious institutions, have been involved with this policy in Nevada. Governor Lombardo himself is a Catholic and has stated that his faith does play a part in his values and views. In a nation founded on the idea of separation between church and state, it can be easy to overlook where religious beliefs make their way into politics. But with issues such as physician-assisted death, abortion, and gay rights issues, religion has played a pivotal role in how voters view these policies. And with the 2024 election well underway, understanding the role religion plays in politics can help Nevadans make more informed decisions. And lastly, I I would just say uh, to to my own family, who I know uh, endured in this conversation, that, that I am very grateful to them for having given me the opportunity uh, on behalf of our family member who had to go through a very horrible situation to be able to present this bill again on their behalf. State Senator Edgar Flores is a Democrat representing a Las Vegas area district who brought the bill to the Senate floor in March during the 2023 legislative session. I think it's important to engage in this conversation in a meaningful way by saying first that I've had an opportunity to speak with a lot of folk who are passionately for and against this bill, and I am incredibly respectful of everybody's position. I understand that there's some individuals that have very passionate beliefs that are grounded and rooted in religion, and I respect that 100%. According to the Pew Research Center, about 85% of Nevadans believe in God, And Senator Flores is one of the 25% of Nevadans who identify as Catholic. And while Catholic voters in the U.S. are split in terms of leaning in either political direction, Catholic religious doctrine does not support such policies as physician-assisted death. 
and Catholic organizations have led the opposition movement in the Silver State. Multiple sources have confirmed that high-ranking leaders in the Catholic Church called legislators during the 2023 session, urging them to vote no on this bill. A statement letter made to the legislature by Reverend George Leo Thomas and the Nevada Catholic Conference read, The Church believes in the dignity of all human life, from the moment of conception until natural death. This vision is predicated on the conviction that God alone is the author of life and the sole arbiter of death. The physician-assisted dying bill was brought to the Senate floor in Nevada five times, and Flores, on grounds of his Catholic faith, was actually against the bill when it was first introduced in 2015. I did not agree with this conversation. And namely, it was because I had not had an opportunity to have sat down and gone through a very personal encounter that really put into focus and forced me to engage in this conversation in a way that I hadn't done before, because it was no longer anecdotal, but it was now something personal. But Catholic opposition to the bill still holds strong in most states, including Nevada. Lori Friedman, the sociologist we heard from earlier, has studied the reach of the Catholic Church in U.S. political systems. There were these religious orders that started these somewhat like an almshouse, like where poor people could go to die who didn't have the ability to bring a doctor into their home or that kind of thing. And so it was a religious mission, like the religious mission of creating Catholic schools. And in general, lots of religions did this, but the Catholic Church did it especially well. Lori focuses on how private Catholic hospitals function. They really teamed up with the American Medical Association in the early 20th century to make sure that American medicine stayed private, that it's that the government didn't sort of take over healthcare, develop a universal healthcare system, because according to the religious people, they really just felt like it was God's work. This is important in the physician-assisted death issue because Catholic mandates greatly affect how the law can be practiced, even in one of the eight states where the practice is legal. Over the years, the market share of Catholic healthcare has grown, and now it's about one in six patients is treated in a facility with a Catholic doctrine governing the care there. According to a study by Mergers Watch, Catholic hospitals have grown 22% since 2001. And in Nevada, 11% of all hospitals are Catholic or affiliated with a Catholic hospital. These hospitals are run, as Lori was saying, by a code of ethics based on religious rules that are mandated and written by bishops in the U.S. The way these rules are practiced can vary, but in general, things like gender-affirming care, abortion, sterilization, even birth control, and physician-assisted death are off the table. For many physicians, this can put them between a rock and a hard place. Some doctors think it's just extraordinarily unethical and it's very frustrating and they have some ways of getting around some things and then otherwise they're just frustrated and have issues with it. Religious doctrine can affect the care patients receive, especially in rural areas where there might be access to only one hospital. In Nevada, which is the 47th in the nation when it comes to access to health care, options are already limited. 
I'm here to oppose SB 239. It's flawed legislation. This bill is flawed. Catholic opposition to the physician-assisted death law reaches beyond calling legislators. The Catholic Coalition wrote this to the Legislative Committee. Assisted suicide conveys a message that persons have no worth if they are weak or unproductive. Our brothers and sisters with disabilities, the elderly, and those battling depression become particularly vulnerable to being pressured into assisted suicide. Nevada is ranked last in the nation for mental health, and the church is concerned that physician-assisted death would put those suffering from mental health problems at a greater risk of choosing suicide. The church believes that instead the state should be investing in mental health resources. There's also another key opposition argument to the bill. Interesting forces opposed to the law led by the Catholic Church and some disability rights activists as well. Those groups have actually been kind of interestingly strange bedfellows in the world of medical aid and dying because along with actually the American Medical Association has been the staunchest opponents of medical aid and dying. That was Mara Bookbinder, an associate professor of social medicine at UCLA, who wrote a book called Scripting Death after Vermont passed a Death with Dignity Act in 2013. As in Nevada, one of the main arguments against the law in Vermont came from those with disabilities. There are many disability rights activists that feel that medical aid in dying is devaluing of the lives of, of those that live with disabilities and that it sends a cultural message that dependency is bad. About 34% of the Nevada healthcare budget goes towards disability healthcare, and around 13% of Nevadans live with a disability. Yet many members of the community with a disability could not attend the bill's original hearing during the 2023 legislative session because there was little advance notice of the discussion. Kathleen Rossi, a retired registered nurse who testified in opposition to physician-assisted death, had this to say. It's disconcerting for me that this hearing was added to the agenda with only hours for us, the opponents, to get here. And I would know the disabled community was not able to show up today, so I would please ask that you let them speak to you privately when they can. She also had this to say in opposition to the bill. Assisted suicide laws are based on the desire for patient autonomy, which, granted, this is a high medical priority, but it is never the only one. Laws should be based on the common good and the effects of society as a whole. The slippery slope is occurring in Canada and Europe, where euthanizing, not assisting death, is taking place. Canada has some of the laxest euthanasia laws, and anyone who is facing unbearable physical or mental suffering can apply to have a physician assist in ending their life. The law does not require that people have a terminal illness. Around 13,000 people received medically assisted deaths in 2022, a 31.2% jump over 2021, which some experts see as alarming. In a visit to Canada in 2022, Pope Francis blasted what he has labeled the culture of waste that considers elderly and disabled people disposable. He stated, We need to learn how to listen to the pain of the poor and the most marginalized, patients who, in place of affection, are administered death. 
Many opponents fear that if this law were to pass in Nevada or in other parts of the U.S., it could lead to sick or mentally ill people being encouraged to choose death over life in order to not burden others or that the practice would encourage suicide. But Mara explains. The reason why advocates of this practice do not like the term physician-assisted suicide is because they would say, this is someone who very much wants to live. This is not a suicidal person. This is someone with a terminal illness that is probably going to die within six months. In the U.S., suicide is one of the leading causes of death. And the CDC reported in 2022 that just under 50,000 people committed suicide. But Mara doesn't want to conflate the idea of suicide with terminally ill people taking life-ending medication. Actually, the American Society of Suicidology has released a statement saying that medical aid in dying is not suicide, and they are distinct acts, and we need to use different terms to speak about these practices. A determination that this practice is not a suicide would also have important legal implications because it could ensure families still receive life insurance benefits. Beneficiaries of someone who commits suicide are excluded from such payouts. For most people struggling with a terminal diagnosis, they don't want to die. Here's one proponent at a legislative hearing this year. My name is Linda Brooks Bracey. I'm 57 years old and I live in Las Vegas. I prefer not to die at this particular time, but unfortunately, even though I consider my age quite young, my diagnosis um, says differently. I have been diagnosed with metastatic pancreatic cancer. We have done all that we can do. I've been through numerous rounds of chemo, surgery, everything that is left to be done, and I am terminal. Linda, like many who are facing a terminal illness, said she supports physician-assisted death for reasons beyond just herself. I am a strong believer in the circle of life. I'm a believer in God. I know that it's my timing, but I don't think I or my family should have to see me suffer. Unlike the Catholic view of suicide, not all religions view the practice as potentially a mortal sin. And of the many people of faith in Nevada that do support physician-assisted death is Rabbi Ben Zober of the Temple Sinai in Reno. As much as we want our afterlife or whatever comes next to be rewarding and good and comfortable, we have a, a more pertinent obligation to the world that we live in and the world that will be for people in the future to make the world for our our children and our children's children or future generations more of a paradise, more of, well, heaven on earth, to use a phrase. There are around 8 million Jewish people in the U.S., and some have been at the forefront of issues like physician-assisted death. We have unprecedented abilities to keep people alive, but that there is a difference between being physically alive and being able to benefit from having life. And that is one of the really critical pieces as we look at issues like medical aid and dying. The value and quality of one's life is not nothing. 
Elliot Mallon, a lobbyist for Compassionate Choices, the community-led nonprofit behind the push for physician-assisted death in Nevada, is also Jewish and, like Rabbi Ben, supports the right for those suffering with terminal illness to have options. In Judaism, we argue about what is the afterlife. Like, we don't know if we believe in hell. It's not that we do or we don't believe in hell. We don't know because 100% of people have not lived to tell the tale. Our religion, part of this is that compassion. Like, we are going to understand, we have to understand that this person is, they're, they're in pain. While some in Elliot's faith support physician-assisted death, he found that... I think the strongest opposition comes from some individuals of certain faiths look at this as suicide and they view that as a sin. And I think that's one way to look at this is it's really hard to comprehend because it is, it's, it's permanent. Catholic doctrine teaches that suicide committed under certain circumstances can lead to a person going to hell. The legislators behind the physician-assisted death bill anticipated this and allowed physicians who opposed the practice to abstain. But there are also other religious leaders in Nevada that oppose this legislation on the grounds of suicide being a mortal sin or against their religious beliefs. If, if you kill another human being, that is a terrible and heinous act. That will result in, in many, many lifetimes of, of increased suffering for you because karmically, that, that, that's a, an unskillful act to harm another. So we don't really have a separate category for harming yourself. It's also a terrible thing to do. You mustn't kill yourself either. Your life is the unfolding of your karmic, karmic consciousness in the universe. It doesn't really belong to you that much. It's borrowed. Matthew Fisher is a traditional Buddhist priest at the Reno Buddhist Center. Through his view of the original teachings of Buddha, he believes that suicide, which to him is the same thing as physician-assisted death, goes against the Buddhist idea of karma. Accepting and realizing death is a natural part of living, just like birth is, is, is the realistic middle-way view. To say, well, I don't want to suffer that six months, could you please just turn me off? What if you had a wonderful insight in that six months, and then that was lost to the world? Or what if someone needed you in that six months, and you weren't there because you decided to give up? That would not be a skillful action. Republican Governor Joe Lombardo, who, like Matthew, is against physician-assisted death, vetoed the Death with Dignity Act that had otherwise passed through the legislature. In Lombardo's veto message, he stated that recent progress in science and medicine, coupled with the fact that only a small number of states allow for end-of-life protocols, led him to ultimately shoot down the bill. While Lombardo is a man of faith and he did run on a pro-life platform, he insists that his personal beliefs do not influence his decisions. But he still did veto the law that would have made physician-assisted death legal. And Elliot, the lobbyist who was working to push the bill through, remembers this moment. It's been about a decade now, and this is the furthest we've gotten it, and this was the first time that bill's ever been vetoed at any point in this country. I mean, look, it was the most heartbreaking, probably, moment of my career. Um, for me, I felt like I failed the people that needed this the most, right, that are suffering at the end of their life. Lombardo's veto message matches what many other opponents of the bill said. 
Many of those opponents believe hospice care is enough to help people at the end of life. Here's Bill opponent Kathleen Rossi. The fact is, I believe, when we are really sure that a person has entered the dying process, we can be really good at taking care of them. And assisted suicide is not even necessary for what these people are claiming it's needed for. What is needed is better funding for hospice and palliative care, and not this option which will actually prey on vulnerable victims. Hospice, or palliative care, is the treatment a dying patient receives at the end of life to ease their suffering. They may also, at this time, decide to discontinue any type of treatment. This care can include things like managing pain with certain drugs like morphine. Statistics show that 43% of people facing a terminal illness in the U.S. are able to get on hospice care. And of the 1.3 million people who receive hospice, 75% are able to die at home. Melissa Dyke, an RN from Oregon, the first state to pass the Death with Dignity Act in 1997, talks with me outside with a fountain running in the background about what it was like to take care of patients who are in hospice. I do frequently work with patients who are dying or might be on hospice. Things I do for them might consist of cleaning them, you know, making sure they're comfortable, repositioning them. I help them with giving medications for those days that they might be imminently dying. Melissa has helped patients while they went through the process of dying with medical assistance. There was one instance where I worked with a patient who was dying from a progressive autoimmune disease where it slowly paralyzed him from the feet up until he would eventually reach his lungs. And at that point, he wouldn't be able to breathe for himself any longer. A key component to this law, as it was proposed in Nevada, is that a person must be of sound mental capacity or deemed lucid enough to request the prescription all the way up until they ingest the medication. He had um, come to the conclusion being an organ, he decided to do a physician-assisted suicide. It was really hard on me mentally to watch him go through the process, but at the end of the day, I just wanted him to be pain and stress-free. While nurses in states like Oregon work with patients through the Death with Dignity Act, many who oppose the bill use the argument that a terminal diagnosis is not finite or 100% accurate. Kathleen Rossi, the retired RN who testified in opposition to this bill, had this to say. I actually left the bedside of my sister, who is dying of a brain tumor as I speak. My sister was given 18 months to live, 14 years ago. This is another millionth example of doctors getting the prognosis of timing wrong. For some who have experienced the death of a loved one through terminal illness, personal values hold little weight in contrast to the suffering of their loved one. For R.J. Erickson, who testified in favor of the bill, he lost his father, Dr. John Marshall Erickson, in March of this year. He talks about what the end-of-life journey was like. During this end-of-life journey, I was, I was personally responsible for mixing his methadone and morphine. I was slowly killing my father. And um, over the five-day period before he uh, finally went into a medical or medicine-induced coma, there were episodes of hysteria, delusionness. It was not what I was expecting to have happen. He wanted a peaceful and painless passing, and 
for loved ones, watching their other loved one go through this is not something anybody should have to endure. For people who work in hospice, like Melissa, the RN from Oregon, who is a Christian, taking care of the patients is the most important, regardless of religion. Death is going to come for everyone at some time. And I think really it's just a matter of when. I do think that everyone should have the right to make their own choices, even if that does mean to do a physician's assisted suicide. You know, as a nurse, I see patients who are in pain and are suffering every day. And uh, if the patient has certain wishes, then I'm going to support him no matter what. For Elliot Mallon, the lobbyist who worked closely on the bill, religion is a big part of this debate. I believe in the separation of church and state, and I do believe that there's a lot of people that have advocated against this that are doing it from a place of religious value. I I respect that deeply. I think that it is deeply unfair to force others to have to suffer because of individual belief. Elliot is hopeful for the future of physician-assisted death in Nevada. I think we will get this through again. Um, And I'm hopeful that this time the governor will sign it and that he will meet with us and let us explain why this is good policy and good legislation and what we're doing to protect Nevadans as well. Like we talked about, it's not just protecting the Nevadans that want this, but it's also protecting the Nevadans that it would violate their religious convictions. Sociologist and author Lori Friedman explains a different reason why she thinks this issue will gain traction and eventually be successful in Nevada. In the case of medical aid in dying, you have men. Medical aid in dying is often most appealing to people with high income. It's both most appealing and most physically attainable because it's usually expensive. In Oregon, the typical end-of-life prescription is around $3,500. There isn't some Medi-Cal-supported way to get aid in dying usually in most states. It's something that allows those who have had the most control in their life to achieve some control while dying. Lori, who also specializes in studying abortion procedures and Catholic healthcare systems, compares these two debates. It's an interesting difference there that it affects men, and I do think that's why it will probably, in the end, even despite religious opposition, I imagine, become more common and passable eventually. Lori thinks discussions about physician-assisted death can move beyond the conversation around religion and garner bipartisan support, especially in Nevada, where personal freedoms and autonomy are often seen as more sacred. But for Rabbi Ben, expanding our understanding across religious beliefs, especially when it comes to issues like death, is the best way to move forward on social issues. There's another step that we can take if we are open to it, if we're ready for it, and if we're brave enough. And that is to recognize that we're all different and to celebrate those differences. We need to understand how they make us who we are as beautiful and wonderful and unique individuals. If we can get to that and find ways to have conversations about what it is that we really believe and each of our own needs and find ways to honor that with the laws that we make, with the choices that we make, with the decisions uh, for those around us and in our lives, well, then we're going to have something really incredible. 
and then we're going to have something that is much more of that, uh, that, that world that we want to give to our children and to their children. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. I want to thank Valerie Haskin, Lori Friedman, Mara Bookbinder, Ben Zober, Elliot Mallon, and Melissa Dyke for being on the show today. We also have additional audio from the 2023 legislative hearing. The show is produced and edited by me, Alex Kuro, with additional help from Joey Lovato, Michelle Rendells, and Tabitha Mueller. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at the Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host this week, Alex Kuro, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>